0: Hi everyone, welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Thibaut and I'm Ara. Every week we interview thought leaders, experts and top performers in B2B sales.
1: During 30 to 45 minutes, we will deep dive into topics like modern prospection, pipeline management tactics or innovative sales tools to help you navigate the complex world of B2B sales.
0: We're on a mission to change the way society sees sales. This profession is one of the most rewarding ever yet many people are afraid to do sales or they choose this career by default.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs. If you want to know more about our sales training and coaching programs, go to www.saleslabs.io. I repeat, www.saleslabs.io.
0: So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom and enjoy the show. Cool. So, welcome everyone, um, and to this uh, new episode of the—it's kind of the uh, Tesla virtual tour and also the B two B Sales Podcast. But it's kind of a live interview of uh, Courtney Griffin. So, Courtney, welcome to uh, to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Tebba. How are you doing? Doing great. Just uh, Monday morning in San Francisco, where I am. So, just getting started. Excited to start the day with you. But yeah, doing great.
0: Okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. I'm happy, happy you started the day with me. So today we're going to talk about uh, career path in high growth uh, startups and organizations. And so um, before we dive into uh, the interview, I'd love to actually, um, you know, get to know a bit more about you, who you are. So if you could tell us about your background, that would be amazing.
1: Yeah. Um, my name is Courtney Griffin. I am um, I currently sit as the VP of global sales for um, a Martech SaaS called Improvado. Um, This is my third position as a VP of sales. Um, A little bit about me um, just personally before we jump into my um, career or um, growth paths in sales. I was born in Canada, moved to Chicago when I was younger, um, I think around eight, grew up there. um, Then went to a liberal arts school, studied philosophy and religious studies um, in Indiana actually and now um i live here in san francisco after working in chicago for some years so um that's me in my spare time i still play tennis and um music and um and i'm a crazy dog person so that's just a little bit of background on on me personally
0: so you're canadian
1: yeah i'm canadian (laughs) yes people are shocked when they find this out yeah yeah but i I grew up most (laughs) of my my life in um, the United States. Uh, Again, I think I was around eight, seven or eight when I um, moved over, but I still hold my Canadian citizenship. So still (laughs) Kanak.
0: Okay. Okay. That's great. That's great. And so you said you're, you're a dog person. Uh, Mm -hmm. You're a crazy dog person. Uh, How many (laughs) dogs do you have?
1: I have no dog. I mean, I travel before COVID. I mean, I traveled way too much for work to responsibly have one. I live in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and our um, apartments are rather small here if anyone's ever been. Um, so I don't own one, but we have family dogs growing up and I'm kind of like the, the crazy aunt. Um, when I get to see, we have like office dogs, um, at Improvado, and, um, I'm kind of always just, uh, hanging out with them in general, but yeah, that's a, that's a fun fact. Every time I come to a new company, I've told them that too. Just get very distracted by, um, the dogs nearby. <laughs>
0: Okay, okay, that's cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, there's two dogs in the where I am right now. They are huge, you know. The one is called the Canela, the other one uh, uh, Negra, and uh, in Mexico, these they are pretty nice, but they are pretty scary because they are like uh, uh, these dogs to take care, you know, to protect the house. So Uh yeah, I'm like, okay, not too close. You haven't said (laughs) hi yet, (laughs) Tiva? I I, I said hi, you know, but like I know if the bus is leaving, I'm like I have to stay here, otherwise I may I may get in trouble.
1: I'm sure they'll warm up to you eventually (laughs)
0: yeah I'm sure too I'm sure too cool so um and and so so can you maybe tell me a bit more about um so you're now at Improvado but like how did you Mm -hmm. land uh, in sales you know so because you, you studied something very different uh yeah and so how did you kind of like land there
1: yeah, well, I all you know, I, I didn't know in college what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to study something I liked, and I generally like to think about concepts and things, and um, I enjoy like strategic parts of uh, my job now. But um, you know, my dad was a salesman, so I got some background there on what he did, um, pros cons of being in sales. And so when I first got out of college, I started interviewing, really just in marketing and sales. And eventually got um, my first sales gig, which was um, for a sales coordinator position, which is now um, more commonly called an SDR, um, mm-hmm. in Chicago for um, an 18-person startup in the ad tech, martech kind of universe. And so, you know, that's where I started. And I've been in sales ever since. So once you go there, you start to grow or see the different types of paths that you can take. Um, and so I just started taking some of those and um yep been in sales ever ever since my first gig so been here a while
0: okay okay yeah I mean it's uh that's the thing is is for I don't know right now if especially with tech sales uh it's it has really good impact because if you if you you know like get to it you start often you know as an SDR BDR uh, mm-hmm. but the growth like personally but also financially can be really insane and so that, that's yeah. why I think it's such a great profession because it's uh um, I don't know, I think we're surfing a huge wave now in uh, in, in tech. And so it's uh, it's it's really interesting compared to, uh, you know, the image we had about sales uh, a while ago.
1: I totally agree. And there's becoming more resources around um, how to do your job effectively. Like when I started, this was over 10 years ago, you know, there wasn't really anything like that. It was rare that they taught sales in school too. So it's like to get a business, you get business degree or economics and um, at, at, we actually didn't even have um, those degrees in my liberal arts school, like the closest thing was political science, um, mm-hmm. which is not the same thing. So um, yeah, it's really interesting to see how that's evolved just in the SAS and tech universe really and, um, and it's just fantastic and it, it, it is a high growth, you know, I started in that position and I grew into an AE, um, I think within my first year or year ish mm-hmm. of being there. And, you know, that's a really aggressive growth path and got me a lot of good experience, um, closing early. And so, yeah, it's really, um, it's a really great way to start your career and get into, um, just figuring out some of the, the dynamic natures of, um, you know, what comes with sales. So, uh, sales. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed my own path and have many thoughts on, um, why it's uh, why it's uh, a strong way to start your career mm-hmm.
0: yeah okay and so, uh, so you, you also have like a really solid experience like scaling companies from 10 million to 80 million you told me AR. so um, mm-hmm. often we talk about one to ten but then this 10 to 100 uh, kind of thing there um, mm-hmm. so can you tell me a bit more about that and what are the typical things you see and the career that are uh, allowed by this kind of growth
1: yeah, yeah, totally. So, um, I, you know, where when I sit here today, I've worked at companies in all these different stages. So, um, my first company probably capped out around 20 million. I then went to work for a, a big public company and realized I didn't, I wanted to make more of an impact. So, I liked kind of startup mm-hmm. land. Um, so, jumped back to Owner IQ, which is the company that scaled really from 10 to close to 80 when when I was there. Um, And then since then I've gone pre-revenue and brought the company to post. Um, Improvado is um, between one and 10. Um, So I feel like I have, you know, experience in all these areas, but owner IQ is interesting because when you're, you know, um, post 10 million you really start to have some money um, that the business is generating to play with. Mm -hmm. And it really facilitates growth for the employees in the company. So um, okay. you know just for everyone listening my career was accelerated a lot at Owner IQ and it's cuz we were growing really quickly and we could um reinvest those dollars into um you know the people who were hungry and and getting it done for the company. So um about the growth so um you know the stage is really important to realize that um you know you're reinvesting that into the the people um at the company but I- I'll say that um There's a few different types of paths that you can take at this point. So you have like less of the financial concern that you do really from one to 10. And um, I'd say there's four major paths. So you go, you typically start around SDR or BDR. So like inbound or outbound um, lead gen. And the typical path from there is to move into an AE position or a closing individual contributor position. That's what I did. That's very, very common. Um, I think there's a couple other paths that I've seen some, um, people take that are close to me that are really interesting, um, that are also viable paths. And you really just have to think about what you're interested in, what you want. So I know people who got started in sales because, you know, they majored in something you know strange or, um, and, and just, you know, got a job, their first gig in sales. And then they moved on to account management or customer success after mm-hmm. that. That's for people who, you know, sales is stressful. You have a number over your head um, and you constantly have to be hitting it. For people who are, you know, strong in um, the client facing function, care about relationships, but less about the pressure that comes with sales. So that's a, the second avenue. Um, the third is moving, you know, if you're more technically driven. So I've seen some people move from um, SDR, AE positions into sales engineering, which is really interesting too. So you're still talking to clients, you're often helping in the pre-sale, um, but you are more interested in the technical components of the product. Um, that's, that's really, really interesting. You know, some sellers are just more technical than others and, and love learning that. Um, and again, you have less pressure. You don't have the same um, revenue number over your head. And then, of course, there's the path into management. Um, And I kind of break that into two sections where you can move into um, sales development management, which is very, very different than um, managing a team of AEs or holding um, a regional or national number. Um, But then you have that progression, too. And that's the one that I ultimately ended up taking. So I took two of those, the first and the last, I guess. Um,
0: But, yeah, that's
1: kind of how I think about the different types of growth plans when your um, company is, um, you know, uh, post-10.
0: Okay. And so, so you, so as you said, you started by more like going from SDR to AE. So you, you, you were Mm going carrying, and then you, you jumped to uh, this kind of uh, the management side, like VP and uh, how do you do the jump, you know, because often, um, there's a lot of contradicting things where you often will make more money if you're a high performing uh, salesperson compared to a VP. Mm -hmm. So what's, you know, what's the motivation and how do you make this, this decision to go for potentially less money? but something different.
1: Yeah, that's a great point Tibo. because I wish somebody like at the time that was just what was available for me to grow. Like there weren't really levels mm-hmm. of AEs at the company. And um, for me, I'm motivated by helping people. I wanted to kind of learn the management skill. I, I ended up liking it a lot. Um, I love mm-hmm. um, working with my team, but I didn't know that then. But I wanted to kind of build that skill and see see how it did. But I, I I do want to say to people that you can move through your career, especially in sales, you can move through your career and you don't have to go into the management track to be mm-hmm. successful. And you really have to think about what's important to you and how you're motivated. So um in every situation I've been in as a VP, my top performer is making more than me. So you have to really um, understand, um, you know, what you're truly motivated by and, and, um, and I, and I will say too, like the job functions are completely different. They're not even close to being the same. So as an individual contributor, you're just, you have a number, you're going after it, you have independence, um, and you're really kind of functioning, um, you know, like for even in companies where there's lots of support and team environments, like you're functioning, on your own goal. And as a manager, that's completely different. So you're um, you're managing people to their metrics. You know, you're talking to them about what they're struggling with and having difficult conversations every day. Um, you're telling your C-level or executive leadership that, um, you know, here's what's working on our team, here's what's not. And it's a lot, um, it's completely, completely different than um, an IC function. So my, the biggest piece of advice I can give is really think about what you're motivated by when you're kind of thinking about that transition, because if you like helping people and you're willing to lead and really kind of do some of that, um, terrible middle layer work, (laughs) um, then, you know, building out your management skill is a great idea, but if you're really just motivated by the dollars and, um, and like functioning independently, that's great too. And you can um, continue to develop your career path in the enterprise or in BD um, and kind of continue moving that way. So um, just a quick yeah. disclaimer, I, I would I would love for somebody to say that um, to other people I've seen go into management and didn't realize, you know, really what it was. And they see it, they saw it as, you know, the only way that they could really grow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's what I saw when I, I moved to management also uh, quite early in my sales career. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I had to do it for different reasons because society actually is uh, rewarding management positions very often, mm-hmm. um, you know, as something pr- prestigious or great. But often you know, what you have to think is is when you start first, you're a frontline manager. So you're kind of like uh, this manager at McDonald's, you know, like in the night shift. Mm-hmm. responsible for everything that's happening but your job is mostly taking care of everything also and so it's not that easy it's uh it's in the trench and uh you're dealing with people's uh, life every day people are often like uh, not happy you're dealing with that and you're not here making strategic plans and just like uh, pushing that to to the bottom so for me i remember i was like doing that and at some point i was like okay i'm tired of, of of just like doing this making less money and so uh, and so I found that it's, you know, it's something you, you need to, to think about. And, and my vision was like, OK, it's maybe like you make less money right away, but maybe later you will have a bigger impact and you're going to be mm-hmm. responsible for a bigger amount of money or be a bigger quota, and then you may make more or whatever. But mm-hmm. I think it's, it's always this thing is like if you're just purely money driven, it's better to stay an individual contributor if you want to grow. It's good to be a manager, but it's not going to be easy. It's just going to be like a transition. Yeah. And uh, and you're just going to have to do a lot of things.
1: I love that we're talking about this because I do want people to know, again, like there are so many other paths where you can be successful and grow. You can be motivated, hungry, and grow. It doesn't have to be in management. So it's just the job is, to your point, so different. And I really encourage people to think about um, what drives them, what makes them happy in their function. If it's dealing with a lot of annoying problems, you know, that's like a large part of management. Yeah. If, if we're being honest yeah. here, you know, and you have to, you have to, um, again, like I, I really love creating the environment for my team that I wanted to have in my early career um, and did in some cases. Um, and that's really important to me and it makes me feel more fulfilled in my job and career. But for some people, you know you just don't want to do that i don't blame them so anyways i'm yeah. I'm very happy that we're talking about that you,
0: yeah yeah for me i know like what i'm doing right now is uh so a few things i hate managing people uh, that's that's something I've, I've I've actually done it and i accepted it and i'm like okay I, I just don't like it um mm-hmm. and i also hate working for, for other people so i was yeah. like i'm tired of making other people rich and managing people so i'm like i'm gonna just like manage no one and Get people to actually pay me so I can coach them, and so that's what I'm doing now coaching and training. And every time I'm coaching people, it's because they're giving me money. And so, it's often it's the opposite when you're a VP, you're coaching people, and you're giving-I mean, your employer gives them money. And so, uh, but but it's a very, uh, kind of counterintuitive thing where I say, okay, I'm just gonna go take this risk and everything that goes with it. Because for me, it's uh, you know, like when you're just sitting in meetings all day long, and often you're like, okay, like, why am I doing this? So, oh, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah Yeah, it's it's often something that you know you have to realize when you do that yeah
1: that's great yeah that's a totally different relationship with coaching so I'm glad that you found that
0: yeah I'm super happy too it's uh it's it's interesting (laughs) but yeah so a lot lot of other complicated things to do also Mm -hmm. and so I have a um um, often you know people have opportunities there's different stages where let's say you're going to join a more mature sales organization where you have role specialization and so they are often hiring Uh, SDRs mostly, and then to to actually be an A, you either have Mm -hmm. to have a lot of experience or you start as an SDR. And you have some other organizations that are a bit more early stage where you're going to be hired and you're going to have to take care of everything. So what do you think, what would you your advice, you know, to pick one over the other?
1: It's a really interesting question because there are so many different variables that depend on that. So I, I would start by saying starting in an SDR or BDR position um, in general, right, would set you up for more success if you have never worked in sales before because you have, you know, a very specific, you typically have um, a sales qualified lead goal and you have to get so many meetings for the AEs a month. And that's really within your control. When you start working with dollars and revenue and sales funnel, you know, Deals fall out and slip for all these different reasons. Um, if you haven't, you know, kind of asked the right questions or managed the relationship the right way or moved the deal along, and that comes with time. So I'd say that, um, you know, it is it, uh, in a lot of situations, you'd be setting yourself up more for success starting and that kind of development role. And then you can learn the product. You know, you take that time to the way I talk to my SDRs today is like it's really um, showing me that you can execute on a goal and um, training you on the product for when you get into the more complicated part of the um, the sales role and the closing position. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a little bit more, um, uh, uh, I guess, will set you up for success. There are situations where you can jump right into an AE position, like you said at an earlier stage startup, what I would encourage mm-hmm. people to do in that situation is make sure that you have a manager you can trust and that really trusts mm-hmm. you. And you do a lot of that work up front. So if you, if you have a mentor who's, you know, wants to hire you for a sales position and understands your capabilities and um experience, I, you know, that that would be a fantastic opportunity. If you're um I think most of the time you won't have a lot of control over that. So oops sorry, my Apple watch just went off. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, a lot of times, like most companies aren't going to hire an AE, um, who someone as an AE who didn't have sales development experience. Um, it has to be pretty early stage for that to happen. And again, I would just really think about like, does the person hiring me understand my capabilities, my experience, what I need to learn in this position? Is this going to set me up um, for success, are the expectations achievable, those types of things.
0: Okay, okay, I see. Yeah, I think it's, uh, um, for, I mean, I think the, the reality is, maybe a bit different in Europe, for example, because um, for me, I, I got hired, like uh, as when I, when I started in, in Europe, in Germany, as a full cycle AE without too much sales experience, like sales development or whatever. But often it's because there's um, uh, people, like, like that's the thing in Europe, if you're selling, there's so many different languages, geographics, and cultures. Uh, mm-hmm. If you actually are speaking French, you're French, and you have to go and sell to the French market, that's already a huge plus, even if you're not really good at selling because you at least speak the language, which I think is is, is not really good <laughs> because the fact of being able to speak a language doesn't mean you're going to be good in sales. But it's, yep. um, yeah, it's it, it It was something, I got lucky, I loved sales, I, I love doing this, and it went well. But yeah, I think it's... Uh, Finding this mentor, these people who can uh, point you in the right direction, is super important. Otherwise, your your sales career will just become really tough and start on the wrong foot, and then that, that's where you can be really disappointed with, the, with that.
1: Uh, yeah, I agree. It's you know, I was always like hungry and very motivated, and I had one of my the best managers I ever worked for. He would, you know, um, I I wanted to move into the management position earlier, and um. He constantly told me that he's getting things organized to set me up for success, and I had no idea what that meant at the time, you know. And so I really, um, again, especially in this situation, you know, you want to you, you want to move fast in your career, but you also want to be thoughtful and careful around um, if you can actually hit those numbers, um, if you're set up um, properly to be successful in that role, and have an organization supporting you to do so. Because if you don't, um, then you just have a few years. Of jumping jobs or not hitting your numbers, and um, you know every salesperson wants a resume just full of um, targets achieved. So yeah, it's really tricky. Only you know in that situation, but um, you know I, I I think the the path I really like the path from SDR um, into the other parts of um, of your career. It makes a lot of sense for for many different reasons.
0: Yeah. And so whenever you're like later in this phase where uh, let's say you're in a team of AEs and then there's like this huge growth and you need to have like some kind of a a leader coach job, uh, which has been hybrid, or, you know, you may have someone who's going to jump from this from internally from being a top performing AE to managing others, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a lot of competition there. So how do you position yourself? What's the, the advice you would give if you're already at a good level but there's tons of people on the line how do you position yourself to get the get the job in management
1: yeah the 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 most important thing first is that you want to make sure that your manager knows that you want to be promoted into that position so i mentioned this at, um with someone else the other day but Your manager has so much going on that they, even if they really care about your career, which is, um, you know, still, there's many different types of managers out there. Even if that's central to how um, they, what they care about managing, they're always dealing with so much. It's typically not top of mind every day. So what you want to do is you want to have a conversation with them and make sure they're aware of how you want to grow and you want them to create a plan for you to get there. So, um, here are the things that I think I need to develop or learn um, and you bring those ideas to them and then um, you should ask them, you know, like, what what do I need to do? What are the things I can cross off on a list to get to that position? And so then what happens is you just have your manager bought in and they've created a list that you can um, then control and work against. And then you will be more top of mind than the other individuals who are up for promotion Um, I would also say you got to hit your numbers, so don't let this slip while you're in this process. You know, if you've had a couple good years, that's fantastic, but you still need to make sure that you're executing and bringing in um, the expectation that your manager and your company has. Um, so that's kind of the second thing. And then the third thing, which I've always appreciated from some of my top performers is. Just bend over backwards for your manager because sometimes they need to ask to roll up some numbers in a way that takes more time, or they need you to work on some like cross departmental collaboration project that you don't want to do. And uh, my advice is you know, to really show up for them because ultimately the right manager will show up for you if you um, do that for them. So those are kind of my um, three pieces of my uh, advice that come to mind right now.
0: Okay, yeah, I really like the the plan. Like, uh, you know, asking you know, because often we assume that people know know what's in our heads, and then yeah. we 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 say, okay, I want this job, I want this job, and then we just never ask about it. I never tell you tell it. And and so I think having a plan is great because you make them think work for you. You say, okay, what? How right. how do I get there? You know, tell me. And then they, they have to give you a plan. Like if they don't give you a plan it's just like, then maybe it's time to change or go somewhere else. But I think it's great that that happened to me once, you know, when, when I also became manager, the guy was like, my VP was like, uh, it was good. it was fun because he told me, okay, you're not really helping there. You're, you are, you're very good, you're performing, but you're working against me. And so mm-hmm. then, you know, we had like a kind of a real talk and then I say, okay, so what should I do to work for you? And as a reward, be be promoted manager. And then, you know, you explained me everything I think it's also a lot about politics uh, where, I mean, politics in a simple sense is like identify the decision maker, identify your champions and the people who will influence the decision. And if you know these people, the stakeholders, you're going to be able to please everyone or at least the the ones you want and you may get there. So I think it's uh, yeah, the plan is a great idea.
1: It's a sales process, just like any other one, except you're selling yourself to be promoted in this position so that. That, that's a great way of putting it, identifying the different stakeholders and making sure that you are talking to them about what they care about and mm-hmm. helping them understand how successful you'll be in the role. So, yeah, that's um, that's important also.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so whenever you you let's say you have a, a few different options to go in different startups, fast growing mm-hmm. company, what are the red flags you should uh, really uh, check uh, whenever you want to join a, a fast growing company?
1: Yeah, this is a great question. So um, I think that there's like four major categories that you should always check on. Um, The first being culture, the second being sales, sales success really. And the third being the product and the fourth being finance in that order, I think. So first like checking the box on culture is the most important, like you wanna be in an environment where you wanna work or else you'll be miserable and you will not be successful. So mm-hmm. um, tactically, the ways of doing that are, of course, like going on Glassdoor. If you have somebody you know there, ask them how it is. If you have somebody who knows somebody who works there, typically like, a, you know, you'll have somebody connected somehow. Um, talk to them about the experience. Um, and really you can just ask to talk to the team in the interview process too. So if you're only talking to you know um, the leadership or the managing directors, ask to sit with the sales team because it'll help you understand what type of environment you're coming into and if that jives with you. So that, that's the first box you got to check. Um, when it comes to other red flags, so um, sales, you want to make sure that the company is able to set you up for success. We talked about this a lot in the first, I guess, half hour here. So what that actually mm-hmm. means is Um, them setting um, goals correctly or well that you can actually attain. So that's a very common Mm -hmm. thing in sales where um, it's actually really hard to find a company or leaders that are um, skilled in setting goals for their salespeople. So I would ask um, the managing director or the team, you know, how many of your reps are over goal? And there will always be a distribution, you know, there's always going to be top performers and low performers and a, a big heap in the middle. But you really want to understand if, if, you know, no one is over goal or trending to be over goal or close, that's a giant red flag, giant, giant red mm-hmm. flag that you have to pay attention to. Um, so that's one big thing. Um, also in the sales category, I'd say, um, you know, you want to understand your growth path and you want to have that conversation. It's a red flag if your manager doesn't have an answer for you in that area. So you want to see mm-hmm. how you'll move through the the organization. Um, and lastly, just under the sales heading, you want to be impressed by the person that you're going to work for. So again, like if you're, if you kind of walk into the interview and you're not impressed or, um, something seems off, um, with who you would be reporting to, that's a giant red flag too. Um, so maybe that fits a little under culture too. Um, But that's kind of the sales category, when when it comes to the product, you want to make sure you have strong product market fit. Um, So you can ask about that, Um, make sure you believe in the product, what the, you know, the the pain that it's solving, make sure it solves a real problem. There are lots of products that solve are kind of like nice to have. um, But it's hard to sell those because um, they're not really solving a pain point that people have in the market. So um, you can tactically, you can ask questions about product market fit, um, uh, make sure that the pricing model is set up so that the buyers can actually buy it the way that they want to. Um, so those are kind of the questions around product. And then last, but um, maybe most importantly, in startup, in, in all startups, you want to understand the financial component to the company. So you can start by asking, you know, if you're VC back or bootstrap most companies nowadays i feel like are vc backed but they're two um those organizations would be run very differently um depending on if you have vc money wow. or not um and so you want to understand that if you're vc backed you yeah. want to understand when the most recent round was that was raised you know how much was raised um it, it's, it's tough to kind of ask you about burn rate and things like that. And in, um, uh-huh. in the first conversation or in the interview process, but you want to get an understanding of their plan to um, mm-hmm. s- what they're spending that money on and when they plan to raise next. And the reason why this is so critical is because there are tons of high growth startups that spend really fast and then run out of money. And so you don't want mm-hmm. to be in an office where one day, Um, you just don't have a job because the company mismanaged their finances. So you really want to understand that plan. And um, and an easy way to do that too in the interview process is just go on Crunchbase and get an understanding of like roughly um, crunchbase.com if people don't know, um, Mm -hmm. easy place to go check on the finances and kind of the history of these different tech companies.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think it's, it's super important of, you know, like to understand where they are, you know, and, uh um, often you can cal- kind of calculate the burn rate or think about it ask you know what's their recurring revenue and then compute everything and then be like okay they will uh, run out of money in six to twelve months or something like that yeah and, uh, and see if they are they even aware of that because often you know the people raise money and then they think they made it actually problems are starting there and money is so uh easy to raise nowadays that mm-hmm. having someone who raised a few millions doesn't mean anything as you said in the, you know it's great they have they have money but are they just like burning everything in marketing? Uh, are they, you know, um, uh, is the product also good? Like, yeah, as you said, because are, even the product, I, don't, I I think it's like, is there a market and is this market clearly identified yeah. and served with a product or a service, you know? And so uh, yeah. of, often it's just like, it's not because a kid uh, raised money that this person is actually, knows actually about, uh, uh, you know, a lot a lot more than you do. So it's often, uh, it's, we often see someone who raised money as like the, you know, like a heroes of our, of our time, but it's not, you know, it's it's, it's, it's it, they often have their shortcomings. And I think it's uh, these four kind of areas of focus are really interesting.
1: Yeah, you have to think critically about the product. So if you're like, you know, if you're in the interview or thinking about joining this company and you can't like figure out what the pain is that it solves or the problem, that's a giant red flag, you know, and so you have mm-hmm. to be able to make and if you can't get to that place of understanding, um, then you need to ask those people more. And, and, and you really need to be sold on that before you join. Um, yeah. But yeah, and to your point, there are just so many companies like um, I live in San Francisco. So I see this all the time where they raise a few million dollars, pretty relatively easy here to to do that, And there's no plan of how to spend that money. And people don't talk about this as much. You know, we assume that companies are spending this right, but it's really just someone like you or me deciding on where to spend a couple million dollars. And um, I've seen teams build out sales teams way too early. Um, I've seen companies spend way too fast. Um, And then, you know, and then the lights just go out one day. So you really want to check for all of those things before, you know, joining the next new and hot startup that's growing fast.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, in, I don't know if it's still the case. It may change, but uh, in 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 the Bay Area, they estimate there's around forty percent of uh, of the money raised goes into direct and indirect uh, um, real estate fees. So it's the uh, yeah. the office space, and then it's also like the uh, you know through the, th- the the salaries of the employees uh, getting them having them to pay their rent. And around 40 percent, if you get 10 million, there's going to be maybe around four million that's going to be spent in just having people located there. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And then you just, just have 60 percent for the rest and you need to operate like the salaries are super high. And, and so yeah, it's it's often money goes super fast.
1: We, we Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting how that's disrupted in 2020, you know, because we're seeing yeah. a surge of people from San Francisco move. At, like, you know, you can't go into the office right now. So we're paying high San Francisco rent prices um and you know we don't even know when we'll be able to return in person so lots of people moving to secondary cities like denver austin and um it'll be interesting to see how that continues on because that has certainly been um the case to date but we'll see what happens
0: yeah we'll we'll see we'll see i think it's going to be very interesting and uh for me it's like if you have a very good connectivity. And uh, and I also, like now, I think the the, the office of the future, I, I was talking with the CEO of the company there, they're mm-hmm. building like, um, it's called uh, Owl labs, you know, they have this kind of, uh, it's an owl, it's like, it's just like, it looks like, um, um, how you call this, like a speaker, but then you know, you have mm-hmm. cameras, and then you can put it, let's say you have a meeting with five people and 20 other people uh, that are on Zoom. And whenever mm-hmm. you speak, the camera detects you. And, and so I think it's going to be about how good are you at like delivering a hybrid kind of like work experience and then, you know, joining. So I think it's very interesting. Yeah,
1: That's super interesting. I heard, yeah, it's going to be a a whole new world here. Um, So that's really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so you also have like a a interesting story you told me before when we were doing the briefing is you, you were involved in Burning Man. uh, Yeah. uh, Not just like going and partying, but organizing. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Yeah. Uh, any, anytime I get the chance to talk about Burning Man, I, I love it, especially, I, I feel like it was so critical in my personal and professional development. So um, thanks for finding this interesting Tiba. We can't talk about it here. But yeah, um, Burning Man is uh, basically, for those who don't know, um, a festival in um, Nevada, in the United States. And it has a a big reputation for just being a big party. But really, I mean, what it is, is it's a a giant community of people um, with shared values. And I started going back in 2013. I co-founded a Burning Man camp in 2014, I believe, um, where we're running, basically, when you go there, you have to create a camp, which is a place to stay. And so we started to create that. And over the years, it really grew um, our camp is huge. Uh, at its biggest, I think we got up to around 180 people. Um, so just to put this into perspective for people that, um, haven't been, or don't know anything about it. Um, it, it's basically like creating a very, very interactive hotel in the hardest mm-hmm. place to live in America for one week only. So it really helped me from, a professional standpoint up my like logistics and operations skill which i didn't really have before you know we have to plan and buy all the equipment we need we need to haul in all the food for 180 people um, we need to ship in water and you know the consequences of doing this wrong is that nobody has water so it's hugely important to do all this stuff right and be um, really organized in that way and um, so it really helped my kind of logistics skill set but, um, it's been a huge exercise in leadership because when you have that many people, you're running a company. I mean, it's really a company. And so you have to organize tier- different like sections of, um, you know, the camp to get different things done, like food or water or infrastructure or shipping. And, um, and you have to have leaders of those teams, and they really have to want to work for you. So, I mean, these people uh, aren't working, you know, they're not my team at Improvado. They're just my friends, and they have to really be inspired and, and respect you to listen to what you have to say when you're delegating on all of these tasks. So, I, I think that's been a really huge exercise and um, truly, genuinely inspiring people who don't have to listen to you. Um, And it's helped me kind of run an organization that would be the size of you know um, many large startups. But um, so it's been huge. It's been a huge part of my life. It's helped me professionally in those ways. But I will say for um, anyone listening to that, um, you really need to find um, some type of community where you have shared values. And I found that that is just huge in your personal development and it might not be Burning Man. I mean, I love Burning Man, but um, it could be something else. And it's not just a hobby, or, um, you know, something you do every Tuesday, it has to be a group of people that really share um, your life values. And that network has been, um, you know, I I can't measure the ways that it has helped me um, in my life. And um, again, those people are all motivated because we share values and they're doing really interesting things in their life and they're teaching me about that. And I just can't, um, I can't say enough how um, it's important to find those types of communities in your life because I had no idea what I was missing before I started um, doing that. So is that a fair description of Burning Man, you think, Thibaut?
0: <laughs> I've never been, but I've seen documentaries about it. And uh, and uh, I, I think for me, the the... I I think it's like managing sober people is tough, but managing people who are there to party must be even tougher. (laughs) So I think it's uh, you can't say, oh, you're fired. You you have to say, you know, you have to to kind of find ways to motivate it and get people organized. Because, you know, you have people who have this dream that uh, you can live outside of society in complete anarchy and everything. The fact is, like, if you want to make things happen, you have to get a certain organization and uh, and, uh, you can either force it uh, to on people or you can uh, or you you j- just have to inspire them and make sure it works so i think it's it's a great proof of leadership because it's super tough people are there to have fun and uh mm-hmm. yeah it's not easy i'd say
1: i i put it on my resume because it's like the largest team i've ever managed you know it's a it's a real yeah. um thing and we have you know giant consequences we have you know uh, my camp has to shipping containers that we store during the year and we reorganize. And it's like really painstaking work to pull everything out, clean it, reorganize it in a way that we want to, you know, it's just a huge, huge job. And somehow you have to find a way to motivate these people to do so. And they're not getting paid for it, you know, and they're going there for, you know, to relax and find calm and, and all of these things. So um, yeah, it's definitely one of the, the most important but, um, central things in my development. And, um, yeah, it's been a huge part of my career. Honestly, it's taught me a lot.
0: Yeah. you had the break, I guess this year, there was no Burning Man, right?
1: No. Yeah. In and I know yeah? now that I've had this break, cause I've been doing it on top of my, um, my career, I have no idea how <laughs> I found the time at night to do all that work because, um, we've had a really busy year at Improvado, which is Amazing, but um yeah it's actually a blessing in disguise because um there's been a lot of hours going. I just started in Pravado in April. Um so I've spent mm-hmm. a lot of the hours that I typically would probably work on um the the um, our burning man camp at night um getting things yeah. organized for our company. So yeah, but hopefully next year, who knows?
0: Yeah, yeah. I hope, you know, I'm mean, not sure it's that cool on Zoom, you know, burning man on Zoom. So uh Yeah but yeah yeah I, let's hope we have more festivals next year
1: yeah they created an app which was kind of a cool virtual experience but um but yeah not quite the the same thing
0: yeah yeah for me you know it's like um i i don't like for example i did once uh, skype with my family my grandparents and everything and for mm-hmm. me i just i'd rather be just by myself doing other things than just like doing faking the experience i think it's it's just like uh um yeah it's it's I think virtual is great for a lot of things working, but Mm -hmm. yeah, if if you can't do it, do something else. I'd say like for me, I prefer working on Minecraft or on on something specific than just reproducing and trying to make it the same, because it's never going to be the same. The fact of being Mm -hmm. with humans and also like the music and dancing with the energy of people around you has nothing to do uh, you know in virtually it doesn't really work so I think it's
1: uh, yeah 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 it's a completely different thing you can try like I appreciate you know trying to get there and giving everyone who wanted to be there um something to remember but um yeah it's a completely different experience and this goes for in work too and with family like you're saying over zoom calls it's like you can try to get there and you can get some goodness out of those calls of course but Um, it's a completely different experience when you're in person and immersed in whatever environment that you're in. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Exactly. Cool. So, um, you know, for the people who are uh, showing up, if you have questions, drop them here. Uh, In the meantime, uh, Courtney, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, learn more about you, uh, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, um, they can go to uh, my LinkedIn, I guess. (laughs) um, Courtney Griffin on LinkedIn. Um, If anybody wants to reach out to me directly and has a specific question, I'll just give you my um, email. It's Courtney.Griffin at Improvado.io. So you can reach out there um, if anyone has found this. We're just scratching the surface of a lot of these topics today, but um, I have strong opinions on um, a lot of things that we've talked about. And um, and yeah, I I would love to have a conversation with anyone who has specific questions that we need to tackle one-on-one.
0: Okay. Okay. So let me check. I don't think we have any questions coming there. So um, yeah, if you if you do have questions, then uh, you can as 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 you say, Courtney, um, uh, join you on LinkedIn, ask you mm-hmm. the questions, and then if you want to try in Provado, also uh, I guess they can directly get in touch with you or go on the website yeah. in Provado. right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. So uh, thanks a lot, Courtney. It was great to have you. And, this is uh, nice. And learn yeah. More about that. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I guess I'll uh, see you at Burning Man uh, maybe next year.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to come, to please let me know. Um, I feel like you yeah, would, you yeah. would do well there, and um, yeah, just let me know as long as we have it next year. But I would love to to yeah. take you with our with our community. So, but yeah, thank okay. you for having me. This is really a nice way to start the week. Okay,
0: so then have a good week and Talk soon.
1: Okay. All right. Bye, Tiva.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. If you like what you hear, you can actually go for a small gift on my website. It's 3w.saleslabs.io ulos. I repeat, 3w.saleslabs.io slash U-L-O-S. It's my ultimate LinkedIn outreach sequence. You'll be able to download it, directly use it, and you'll be signed up for the newsletter. And every Thursday, you'll receive the latest episode.